0: Would you join with me in prayer dear lord i thank you so much thank you for the opportunity to open up your word together and i pray that you be glorified by everything we say and do fill us with your holy spirit even as we open our hearts up and open your word up to us in jesus name amen now there's a lot of arguments uh, throughout history as to what constitutes like the most paradigm changing inventions Um, In the ancient world, I would say it's the stirrup. Crucial, crucial invention. In the more modern world, I would say, like the internal combustion engine changed a number of things. In the last 50 years, you can make a bunch of arguments as to what might that be. Cell phones, Internet. I submit to you, control Z. One of the most paradigm-changing things is the ability to undo what you just did. And you might sit there and go, no, no. Come on, when you were a kid, how many times did you yell, do over, do over? It was like, and your friends sometimes allowed that to happen and sometimes didn't. But control Z always lets me do it over, man. It's great. Do over. (laughs) I did. In fact, when I was jotting notes down for this sermon, I was thinking, what would be a good example of something about the modern idea, the adult version of do-over, and I accidentally deleted something. And I went, no, and I hit Control-Z instinctively. And I went, oh, Control-Z. You might go, no, no, you're ridiculous. I find myself wanting to click Control-Z when I cook. You know, I'll throw flour in instead of sugar and go, no. Uh, undo. It's like you can't undo, but your brain goes there. I want to undo. And if you sit there and go, I think you're making too much out of this. Fine, fine. Convince me of that later and I'll re record the sermon with something else. <laughs> but the paradigm that we have now that we never had a generation ago that you can actually just undo everything. My dad didn't grow up with that. They could yell do-over when they're playing stickball in the street all they wanted, and they may or may not go with it. But the concept that you can actually completely undo something, isn't that the core of the gospel? That you can control Z like your entire life, although you're mad. It's like really look, control, alt, delete, Kevin. It's a hard reboot of the system. If you really want to get snotty about it, no. It's taking it back to factory settings. It's taking your computer and your operating system all the way back, so that you should get rid of all the stuff, all the corruption, all the broken code that you've picked up from years of living in this broken place. For centuries, we can say that to people, and people can go, ah, "It's really hard for you to picture a complete, complete cleansing." I don't know. I can just a hard. At least we have a generation of people now that I go control Z the ultimate grand do-over where you go no what was all that I did wrong with the blood of Christ gets turned around it ceases to have existed in God's mind and I can start afresh and anew yeah I think that's a huge paradigm shift but I would also say if God truly is the same yesterday today and tomorrow If we really believe that, and if we really believe that the gospel message is the ultimate do-over, the ultimate second chance, then God has always been a God of second chances, hasn't he? He has always been a God that said, this is what you've done. It does not need to be the end of the story. He is always giving second chances. In fact, I would submit to you, as we go through Joshua That's what we see going on in the next chunk of Joshua. Open up your Bibles if you haven't done so. Let's be back in Joshua. Because last week we talked about how God transitioned Joshua from following Moses as Moses followed God to just following God himself. I want you to follow me and then the people follow you. And he had a personal relationship with Moses. He's like, I was there with him. I buried him on a hill. I watched over him and I want that relationship with you. So now Joshua is going to walk with God before him as the people walk with Joshua before them as he walks with God before him. It's like the perfect discipling relationship. I'm going to walk, and you step where I step, and they step where you step. And God said, if this is going to work, if we're going to have this personal relationship, there are two things that absolutely need that we talked about last week, remember? Number one, Be strong and courageous, right? And number two, be careful to meditate on God's word and then actually do it. Actually live that out. Because if it really is the perfect rule of our life, if it really is GPS for us, if the Bible really is that solid, it would be ridiculous for us to step any place other than where it tells us, wouldn't it? And if you have that GPS, it would be ridiculous to try to muddle through and figure out your way without using the GPS. So he's like, just use my word, listen to my word, and do what it says. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to meditate on God's word and actually do it, because then God will give you the land, the land he promised to your fathers, this land flowing with milk and honey. And God, and Joshua believed God, not because Joshua was so gutsy and tough that he could be courageous, but because he knew God. He watched God work with Moses. He knew what God was like. He knew his character. He knew that Yahweh himself was leading him, which was the whole stinking point from from last week, wasn't it? That you should know this and should trust this. You should believe this, because God is actually walking with you. Believe this, that God himself is walking with you and leading you. Well, when we get to the beginning of Joshua chapter 2 here, as we're looking at this, having learned a really good lesson about reconnaissance from 40 years earlier, Joshua sent two spies from Shittim, this little town just over the, over the river from, from Jericho, to go spy out the land like he had sent people, <laughs> like they had sent people 40 years before and only two spies did any good. He's like, well, let's just send two spies. And I love that Jewish tradition who knows if it's true, but the Jewish tradition says that one of those spies was old Caleb again, which I, I have no idea if it's true, but I like the idea of a 60-something-year-old Caleb going, yeah, I'll be one of the spies. So he sends him in to Jericho, the main fortified city of Canaan, the main city of Canaan, definitely the oldest. Jericho was founded when there were still woolly mammoths, and dire wolves and saber-toothed tigers roaming North America. It's that old. Secular history says, yes, no, there were still, there were still giant sloths in North America when Jericho was founded. These guys know how to defend a city. They know what they're about. But this prostitute, this madam of a brothel, named Rahab in the city is willing to help the spies willing to hide the spies why Jericho knows what they're doing why is she willing to trust these guys and turn on her own people we're told in verse 9 Rahab said to the to the spies I know that the Lord and I got to stop there draw your attention to the fact this is another time with capital o, capital O capital R capital D right last time we talked about the writer using the name Yahweh over and over because he was trying to emphasize the personal nature. This time, he's trying to emphasize which God we're talking about. She specifies. She says, Rahab says to the spies, I know that Yahweh has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you guys. A generation ago, your spies melted in fear because of us. But now... We're melting in fear because of you guys. It's the great do over, right? What changed? There's no there's no tall people in Canaan anymore, right? I don't think Canaan changed that much in forty years. I'm pretty sure God didn't change that much in forty years. What changed in forty years? Yeah, God's people are the ones changing in these forty years. So she's like, this, we're, we're quaking because of you guys. All who live in this country are melting in fear because of you guys. Why? Because we've heard about how this Yahweh drained the, and dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt back in Exodus 14, which happened before the 40 years. So think about it. It's not even like you go, well, they heard about all the stuff that God's been doing in these guys' lives since then. you go, No. When the spies came back 40 years ago and said, they're like giants and we're like grasshoppers, what they didn't know is that the people in Canaan were already terrified of them. There's what they see and there's what they perceive. No, we heard about what happened 40 years ago. And that's, I don't care if that news article is 40 years old. That's going to stick with you, isn't it? That the Hebrews, when they come along, this is the God that thwarted Egypt, that slaughtered Egypt's armies and chariots and the whole Red Sea thing. You're going to remember that. They're like, we, we just watched the Ten Commandments, and then you guys showed up and shit him. And we went, ooh, we're scared to see these guys. And we heard about everything that you did with Sihon and Og, the two key kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed back in Numbers 21. And Og had been this great warrior, famous for his size. He's a giant. In fact, um, uh, was it Deuteronomy 3? Uh, Where they talked about, even as the, as the writer was writing, that it's still a tourist attraction to go see his giant iron bed that they built to contain his frame, because he was so massive and powerful and strong. And they said, and you guys utterly destroyed them. You haramed them. It's a great Hebrew word. It's it's it's, uh, it's 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 saying this is you've made it unclean. You've made it utterly destroyed. To have something haram is to say I want it utterly off the planet. I want to destroy it. So salt on the earth destroy totally haram this. You totally haramed these guys. And then you showed up at our doorstep. So, when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For Yahweh, your God, is God in the heavens above and the earth below. Think about that. This pagan woman, this prostitute, this madam who has a brothel in Jericho is preaching not just to believe that there's a God, but to believe in Yahweh, the God of second chances. I'm going to believe this guy, speaking of second chances, Matthew's genealogy of Jesus says she had a son. Do you remember? Does anybody remember who Rahab's son ends up being? Boaz, the the square-jawed, cool hero that helps the really cool heroine of Ruth in the book of Ruth and ultimately becomes part of the lineage of Jesus. So this woman says, I I know what I am. In fact, I can even, I'll try to use this brothel to hide you. I know what I am. But I still dream of somehow being saved. That somehow I can be brought into some sort of a new life that isn't this here in Jericho as part of the household of God. Can that happen? And they say, yeah. We know what you are. We know what you've been. And yes, if you have faith, and if you, as we come upon Passover, we're reminded of this, they say, if you just tie a scarlet cord out there and cover your, your household with that, the wrath of God will pass over you. Yes, you're part of us. Yes, God can forgive. Yes, second chances. So we're told that uh, the two spies returned to Joshua, son of Nun, told him everything that happened. They said, Yahweh has surely given the whole land into our hands. He's done it. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And he promised us he would do this. Joshua and Caleb had been the only ones who had believed this 40 years ago, but they said, you know, to so basically just be strong and courageous and remember that your, your enemies are melting with fear. So in chapter 3, verse 1, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went out to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. He had sent two spies before. Him. He goes, okay, now we're all going. Two spies came out from Shittim. He goes, no, now all of us are. Which means everybody in Jericho can see them coming. We're camping across the river from Jericho. And if they were scared to know that the, the people of God were across the river in some small town that they may or may not be able to see? What about when they can see thousands upon thousands of them massing on the other side of the river? After three days, the officer went through the camp and giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, your God, not, not some other God, yours, and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. Because then you're going to know which way to go since you've never been this way before. You may not know the way. It's okay, God does, and he's going to make it really clear. Trust me. But make sure you keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Don't go near it. Because the people of Jericho had seen the Ten Commandments, right? But Joshua had seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) He's like, no, I know how this works. Do not mess with this. It's It's not that the ark is magic. It's it's not that the Ark has magical powers. It's the Ark is this physical, tangible representation of God's power and authority. And God says, "Don't, don't, don't treat this as something flippant. Don't. Even Indy figured that out. No, don't. Don't touch it. Don't look inside of it. Don't. Don't play with this. This is God's power, God's authority. This is the scariest thing we can imagine on the planet. Yes? On the lid of the ark, there's two two cherubim that are, they have their wings outstretched toward each other. And what is it in between? There's this little flat surface. What is it? The mercy seat. Where do you go find mercy? Right in the middle of the scariest thing on the planet. You need to believe that the God who says do not mess with my holiness. says, intrinsic in my holiness is showing mercy to my people. I am the God of second chances, and I am the God of forgiveness, and I am the God of mercy, and I want that even on the mercy seat of my big scary ark. So stay away from this. Don't play with this. And Joshua told his people, consecrate yourselves. Make yourselves holy for tomorrow Yahweh will do amazing things. And they all went, yes, tomorrow Jericho falls. Because he said three days from now, three days ago, we're going to go into the Canaan. And he says, tomorrow we're going to do amazing things and we can see how they're scared and we're masked here. This is going to be awesome. And Joshua said, told the priest, okay, here we go. Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they go, okay, yeah, take it up, pass on ahead there, stay back a thousand yards, got it, yeah. And they took it up, and they went ahead of them. Cool, yeah, we're ten football fields ahead, yeah, we got it, all right. Yeah. And Yahweh said to Joshua, okay, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they know, they will know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant ten football lengths ahead. Yeah, got it, got it. okay, yeah, got And when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. I'm I'm sorry. Who does what now? What am I supposed to do? I want you to go stand in the river. I don't want to do that. I mean, we're told the Jordan's at flood stage. I don't... I don't want to do that. I mean, we're not supposed to mess with the ark. It's we know in scripture this is, there's this one time where we hit a bump in the road and we had the ark on a cart and it started to slide and we caught it and got fried. You want us to carry the ark and go stand in a raging river? We're totally getting harammed, are not we? We're not making it through this. I don't want to go there. I don't want to get. I don't want to do this. But what were the two applications we talked about last week? Be strong and courageous. Be careful to meditate on God's word and actually do what God says. Just do that. But I don't understand. I don't think I care. This is what I'm asking you to do. And Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of Yahweh, your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, which is the whole stinking point, right? That's the whole idea. Back in Joshua 1, we're told... God says to to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he says, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged for Yahweh, your God, will be with you wherever you go. That's the whole point. Be courageous because you're not alone. There's, There's no reason to be scared. It's about knowing how big God is. There's no reason to be scared. God is so much bigger. And I'm with you. And so he says, guys, this is how you'll know that God is with us. See, verse 11, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, little O, little R, little D. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the Sovereign of all the earth, will go on ahead of you. I've already called him by name, and now I'm reminding you by title. He is sovereign over this whole planet. He's that big. They go, yeah, I know, that's the scary part. That's what gets us haram, isn't it? Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of, the, of Yahweh, who is the sovereign over all the earth, as soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Does water stand up in heaps? Does it, is that what water does? I'm sorry, the meniscus is not that strong. It doesn't work like that. But it's not being dammed up upstream. It's not like that. It's just piling up there. As water does, it just piles. But the moment you step into it, it won't be there. I love that. This isn't Moses holding off his staff and the water's part and you go through. This is step into the water. Yeah, but it's raging, and it's going to step into the water. But if I step into the water, we're dropping the ark. If there were water there, yes. It's a raging river, and if you step into the raging river, you'll drop the ark, and you will fry. Step into the river, and it won't be there. How much faith do you have? How big is your God I love that. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. I love that. This is, this is why they had to, to camp there. They couldn't just ford when they first got there. They, it's flood stage. You can't cross this. This isn't a drying up river. This is a raging river. You're not going to get across it. And yet, another word for but, big, giant, huge little word, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and as soon as their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing, much like the Red Sea had 40 years earlier during the filming of the Ten Commandments. This is like a do-over, right? And it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, which as near as we can tell is like 30 miles north of here. So it's like, step into the water, and the water's 30 miles away. What? And it's gone. And the water flowing down to the sea of, of the Arava, the Salt Sea, what we call today the Dead Sea, about five miles south of Jericho. We'll be completely off, It was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho in this 35-mile stretch of dry ground that's easy for 40,000 armed people to cross over in the middle of flood stage of the Jordan. Have the people crossed over like this before? And you go, yeah, this is a great do-over, though. We're doing this over again. We're starting this over again. Yes, you did that back in Exodus 14. This is different, though. The, pe- the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And I love that word. Love that word. Because it's not the same word for dry ground that you get in, in Exodus 14. Exodus 14, you hear about them walking on dry ground. It means it's, you're not... You're not splushing through the water. You're not trudging through puddles or ankle-deep water. Nope, it's dry ground. This is not that word. This word means bone dry. Might as well be a desert, utterly desiccated. So you go, okay, flood stage, flood stage, flood stage, boom, Powder. is your God. I love the words he's using here. Saying, let me get through to you. This is about faith. How much faith do you have? Can you be strong and courageous? Not because you're so gutsy, but because you have faith and you know you should have faith because you have meditated on God's word and you're doing what it says to do. You're listening to God. Your whole last generation did the walking through parted water thing. This is your chance to do the great do-over and all Jericho was watching this as it happened right in front of them remind me what what was it that Rahab said had made them so terrified what specific act of god can they point to that m- it melted their hearts when they heard about it parting of the red sea and then they see thousands upon thousands of hebrews across the river from them and they're scared and they see this Ark approach. They may have even heard of the Ark. Maybe not. But they step into it and all of a sudden, at its flood stage, the Jordan parts for these people with all their armor and swords to come across to Jericho. I'm sorry, how do you feel sitting in your fortified city that's been there for a couple thousand years? How do you feel? you got guards looking, so other going, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. These are those guys. These are those guys. This isn't even a movie. This isn't even like a, we're watching a news broadcast. We're, this is live stream. And then God held the waters back so that Joshua could have the people gather stones from the riverbed and pile them up as a monument for future generations to remember. To serve as a sign, he says, for the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. Remember this. Remember his name. Remember this God. Remember this moment. My children, has God changed since then? If not, then this is a message not only for them and for their children, but for us and our children to remember to remind each other that God, that our God, keeps his covenants. Even, I don't care what flood waters you're looking at in your life, God is still God. And if he says, step into the waters, he means it's because apparently, like Peter, you can walk on them, or apparently, like these priests, the water won't be there by the time your foot hits ground. But as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, yeah, and even if we drown, still still want to honor God. So Joshua 4, verse 10, the people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed over, the Ark of Yahweh and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. And the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. Remember them from last week? I we talked about those that Joshua talked to them and said, okay, I know you guys plan to stay on this side of the Jordan. I know you're fine with staying by Shittim and living there. That's great. Knock yourselves out. But you're still part of the people of God. And there ain't no spectators in the people of God. So your families can all stay over there. That's great. But you're crossing over. In fact, you're leading God's people into Canaan. And once we conquer it, you can go back. That's great. But there's no spectators We are all part of all of the story. There's nobody that's sitting there going, yeah, yeah, whatever, you guys go do. I'm sorry, has God changed? Has the story changed? So the priest came up out of the water, out of the river, carrying the ark, the covenant of Yahweh, and no sooner they set their feet on the dry ground on the bank of the other side of the Jericho, uh, of the Jericho side of the Jordan River, Then the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before because this is still flood stage. It's not just a drive time that day. But God is bigger than floods, bigger than the floods of the Jordan, bigger than the floods in your life. He's just bigger than the floods in our country, in our world, isn't he? Or is there anything that you say, no, this is big enough, I need to worry about it, and I just don't know how God is going to do it, and my worry is thus justified. Or do the floods have to subside before you step out where God tells you to step? Do you have to see his work before you trust it? And then, because the Bible is such a badly written book, the writer needlessly repeats itself. Joshua apparently needlessly repeats himself. He keeps saying the same things. He's like, I'm going to sum up everything up to this point. And if the Bible does it, then I will too. Don't tell me I'm being redundant. So Joshua said to the the Israelites in verse 21, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? You tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on bone-dry ground. For Yahweh your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. Yahweh your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that why? So that they would have courage, right? And they would trust in him. No, that can't be why. Because he demanded courage before they saw it happen. You have to have the courage to step in. It was to make the people of Jericho, their hearts melt, right? No, because their hearts were already melted, right? He did this for a reason. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of Yahweh is powerful and so that you might always fear Yahweh your God, not some calf, not some... God over there, not some Asherah pole. Not so, your God is God. Even Rahab sees it. And this is a statement to all the broken people, of the broken world, that God is not to be trifled with. And this is a monument to the redeemed people of God in this world that God is not to be trifled with. And that he fights for you, that he walks with you. So don't ever forget to walk with him. This is for the people of Jericho, sure, but also for the rest of the world thereafter. This is for the people of Israel, sure, and for their descendants thereafter. But those descendants include people like you and me and like all the other people we run into on a daily basis. This is for all of us to remember and all of us to remind one another and to apply to walk very humbly with our God and to trust that he's got this. Whatever your this is. So it'll happen the way I want it to? No! Trust him to be bigger than you also. Trust him that he's got it. Just be strong. Be courageous. Be careful to meditate on God's word and then obey what it says. And here's the thing. They had already screwed all this up, hadn't they? That's why they'd spent a generation out in the wilderness. Moses had already screwed all this up. He was given God's authority. He trusted in what he saw in this magic wand and he believed that. God said, use my authority. He's like, can I use the trick that's worked? Now, Joshua's been given this authority. And Joshua says, it's not a magic trick. It's God's power. It's not some magic staff. It's God's authority. This is a great do-over and a chance for us to do it right. And i got to wonder if somehow, sometime, some way, the reason God did it this way, slightly differently, is he's like, last time, Moses held out a big stick and the things parted and you walked through. I want you to do the exact same thing without the big stick or the parting. Start walking through without any big stick, without any parting, and you will walk between parted waters. So you're going to part it and then we go in? Nope. I want you to believe this without seeing any of the things that helped you believe the last time. This is the great do-over. I want you to do this over the last time we did this, you were like, that's great. And then he immediately started whining that God didn't provide. So he's like, fine. So I start giving you, I start giving you manna and they immediately started whining at the manna. He's like, let's do this control Z, great do-over. Can you do this right this time? As you enter in the promised land, I gave you the promised land 40 years ago. As far as we can tell, nothing over there changed. Have you changed enough? This is the great do-over. Can you do this? chapter 5, verse 1, when all the kings around heard that Yahweh had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until until we had all crossed over, their hearts melted, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. And God said, and now is the time, attack Jericho. Yes? Why? Wouldn't, Wouldn't this have been the perfect time to attack Jericho? I mean, the whole reason of parting the waters is to... To prep them for the attack, yes? To make Jericho scared of them so that they crumble, yes? No, the whole point of this, the whole point of this was so that everyone knows that Yahweh is God. So what's the next thing he says? Okay, we're here, what do you want us to do? And Yahweh said to Joshua, make flit knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Who did what now? What? To who? What? How is this a good idea? These guys are not going to be able to fight after that. How is this a good idea? What was the application? Be strong and courageous. Actually be careful and meditate on God's word and obey what it says. It doesn't matter if you understand it. It matters that God said it. That really should be enough. God's like, no. The most important thing here is to make sure that we're we're cool with this. So Joshua made flint knives, circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haaraloth, the hill of foreskins. Yeah, worst named place ever. Horrible place. Now this is why he did so. I love it when the Bible does this. This is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way to after leaving Egypt. And all the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. Oh, so if you had just done what you were supposed to do and entered the promised land, we wouldn't be having this issue. If you had just done what you're supposed to do and continued circumcising people when they're born, we wouldn't be having to do this. This is because you weren't doing it the way you're supposed to be doing it. And this is about a great do-over. We're doing this over. We're doing the whole circumcision thing over. We're doing it over because you did it wrong. And this time I want you to do it right. And the God of second chances. Because none of this is ultimately about how they actually ended up where they actually ended up. It's not about where they end up living. Because God was with them in Canaan and even back in Ur with Abraham, wasn't he? And God is with them when they're in Egypt. And God is going to be with them later when they're in Babylon. Isn't God with them wherever they go? This isn't about living in a comfortable comfortable Canaan any more than it's about us living in a comfortable sanctuary or watching from a comfortable couch from home. The key to this is not, are you prepared for battle? The key is, are you prepared To be God's people as He leads you into battle. If God truly is doing the battle for us, that's the focus. Are you with God? That's the focus. I mean, am I mentally and physically prepared to fight? Are you spiritually prepared to follow the God who's doing the fighting for you? I'm sorry, has anything about that changed? Has God changed? So is it about all the preparations that you do, all the things that you do, all the stuff that you do, or is it about God going, are you actually with me? Are you even with me? That's the key thing. It's the classic thing where Lincoln's general said, I pray that God is with us. And Lincoln said, I'm less concerned about God being with us and us being with God. And on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover, which they were supposed to do every year since Exodus 12. And the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land and the unleavened bread and the roasted grain from that land of milk and honey, and the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. No longer any manna. That was wilderness food. That was temporary stuff. It was stopgap. It was parenthetical. I led you to the promised land. You didn't go in. We did all that 40 years of stuff. Now I led you to the promised land. Are we going in this time? The great do-over. Second chance. Do this right. Can we can we look at it that way? Can we, can we apply it that way? Can we sit there and go, wait, the manna was never supposed to be food for our forever home. It was always just while we were broken in the desert. Can we apply that and look at at what God provides today and say, this place was never, this stuff here, my house here is never my forever home. This world was supposed to be living in relationship with God. And all the stuff that I throw myself into acquiring here to keep things going here, that's just manna. And there will come a point where I don't need any of the manna anymore because I will be in the presence of God in the promised land. Can we remind ourselves, can we actively remind our children that God walks with us as we walk with God and that if we follow his leading, follow his word, we'll be where we need to be, we'll be what we need to be. Can we we remind ourselves that sometimes God makes a big show for us to follow and sometimes God says, nope, zero show whatsoever. Do you follow me into the floodwaters? Can we remind ourselves, can we actively remind our children that sometimes... God is the God, not only of the big chance, but of the second chance and the third chance and the 70 times seventh chance. And we need to balance never taking that for granted, never being flippant about that, with never thinking that we've gone so far that he could never love us or them. As we come to the Lord's Supper today, let me encourage you to stop and think, what is it that you're remembering? Because the whole point of the the Lord's Supper is to remember you're remembering? What is it that Jesus said at the Passover, it's so crucial that you remember God did. And it's so crucial after this Passover that you remember how I am the ultimate example of what God did. What are you remembering? Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the opportunity to remember. I thank you for the opportunity you give us to to come to your table I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be your people. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to remember your body lived out for us, your body that you handed over for us, your blood that was shed to wash us clean so that the wrath of God passes over. Lord, I pray, help us to remember and be changed by the remembrance. In Jesus' name, amen.